The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. We are ready to offer a highly ambitious trade deal, including zero tariffs and zero quotas. There is no need for a free trade agreement to involve accepting EU rules on competition policy, subsidies, social protection, the environment, or anything similar. I think there is a significant risk of what some people are calling No Deal 2.0. Hello, you listen to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Solik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepgett. Now, today we have something rather special for you. Uh, we're going to do a full half hour on HS2. The fate of the controversial infrastructure project is finally going to be decided this month. That's according to the Transport Minister, Grant Shapps. The high-speed rail line between London and Birmingham, Manchester and Leeds, of course, was first proposed back in 2009. Since then, it's been dogged by delays and vastly escalating costs. And like everything else in British politics right now, it is splitting opinion. Supporters say it will improve rail capacity and connectivity, create jobs, spur economic development in the north. But a loud chorus of critics say the project is an ill-conceived financial black hole that will damage the environment and won't deliver on its economic promise. No, So we've got uh, some great guests with us uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to be speaking uh, to Anthony Barclay, the Labour peer, a long-time campaigner against HS2, and also the Conservative MP Andrew Mitchell, who represents Sutton Coalfield. Uh, so we'll get to them in just a moment. But first of all, I want to bring in our Bloomberg opinion columnist, Chris Bryant, who's uh, written a lot about HS2 and uh, has a really interesting piece out now on the Bloomberg terminal basically warning about the nimbyish tendencies of the UK uh, but equally concerned that the possibility of 106 billion pounds being spent on this uh, rail infrastructure uh, perhaps uh, not justifying the results so Chris great to speak to you you've looked really closely at the cost benefit analysis of HS2 what does it look like to you Oh, hi, Caroline. I mean, I have to say, like many British people, I wrestle with this issue. It's really difficult because over time, the, the projective costs of HS2 have, have really gone through the roof. I think the, the latest official estimate is £88 billion up a level. But in a still unpublished uh, government review, you know, we're hearing that perhaps the, the, the cost might reach £106 billion. And, and the National Audit Office is saying, well, we don't really know how, what it'll end up costing because the, the northern stages of the project are still in quite early development. So obviously, as the costs go up, uh, any cost-benefit analysis is obviously going to uh, start to become less convincing. 
Uh, now, it's very clear to me, and I think everyone, that Britain needs to invest in its rail infrastructure. I mean, the country is still relying essentially on infrastructure that was handed to us by the Victorians and, and, and hasn't really built an awful lot recently. As a result, uh, there is a lack of capacity. Nobody really argues about that. We've got high speed and, and slow trains running on the same lines. And as a result, you have com uh, crowded commuter services. And everybody's very unhappy. The, the, the question is, is it really appropriate to spend £100 billion on this one project, mm -hmm. in particular, as it seems that, you know, as Mr. Johnson himself is sort of saying, it's been sort of badly managed and, and, and has a, a quite profligate design, a very, very high speed, lots of trains right. running uh, frequently uh, from Euston. So it would clearly be a huge infrastructure project for the UK. How does it stack up in terms of the projects that we've seen in the rest of Europe? Well, I think the first thing to say is that any big infrastructure project, doesn't matter if it's railways or anything else, is sort of almost inevitably delivered late and it costs more than it was originally planned. That is just the golden rule of, of infrastructure. And, and as such, we shouldn't be surprised that the cost of HS2 has crept up over time. Uh, nevertheless, it is a multiple uh, in terms of cost per kilometre. Uh, uh, of the sort of the latest uh, uh, high-speed railways that have been built in Europe. Now, I think supporters would say there are re obvious reasons for that. Britain is a very densely populated country. Uh, land is extremely expensive. Uh, uh, I think HS2 has already spent about um, £8 billion, pounds, and, and much of that has gone towards buying up land. Uh, the line connects down into London, and there it's very expensive. Tunneling is required. Some ground-lowering work needs to be carried out. And, of course, when you start doing that, you encounter new difficulties. Uh, and so it, sh it shouldn't be surprising that this is a very expensive piece of land, and Britain doesn't do this very often. And, of course, it can borrow very cheaply. So, uh, again, proponents will say, well, look, now is the time to do that. But mm. what I fear is that when, you know, we don't really know what this is going to cost at all. And, and, and as I say, the, the management of this project, I think, has been questionable. Uh, then, you know, the public confidence in, in will this money be well spent is, is pretty thin at the moment. OK. Um, so, look, then, Chris, just in terms of the companies that are involved in this, I mean, one of the accusations, you know, and obviously tabloid press in the UK holds sway, is the gravy train of big business, Balfour, BT, Vasi, um, uh, Skanska, Keir Group, some big, big names, obviously slated to be the contractors to help build HS2. You know, what would you say to that criticism? I, mean, I think in any project like this, you're going to have a lot of mudslinging. And, uh, but there is an interesting point here in terms of what's been raised in recent days is perhaps the procurement model itself it, it was a bit flawed in the sense that the contractors were obliged to take on a lot of risk. And in order to, 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 to make sure that they didn't come a cropper, they essentially you know, have, have developed a sort of gold-plated design uh, whereby nothing should go wrong. But as a result, the railway has become much more expensive. Uh, again, proponents would say that this is going to create thousands of, of jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, we should go ahead. And of course, you know, a lot of the benefits then will only emerge later. For example, when we built HS1, uh, yeah. you know, that was obviously controversial as well at the time, very expensive. But I think, you know, a lot of people saying now what a huge success that's been, not just in terms of speeding up journey times from the channel, but also in sort of regional uh, right. regeneration and so forth. All right, Chris Bryant, thank you very much. That was our Bloomberg opinion columnist who's written on this very subject. Now I'm excited to say, joining us, two very prominent figures with strongly held views. We've got Anti Barclay, a Labour peer, who has long campaigned against HS2 as a civil engineer. He worked on the construction of the Eurotunnel and 
served as chairman of the Rate Frail Group, uh, the Rail Freight Group, rather, the industry body. Uh, and the Conservative MP, Andrew Mitchell, also joins us. He represents Sutton Coalfield. He served as International Development Secretary from 2010 to 2012 and one, was one of at least 30 MPs who wrote to the Prime Minister recently urging him to deliver the long overdue rail line in full. Andrew Mitchell, let's start with you. I was really struck by this line from the National Audit Office, uh, which said that it wasn't possible to say with any certainty what the final cost may be. Is there a risk here that we're writing a blank cheque? Well, there, there is some truth in that. The, the, not, not so much the blank cheque, but the fact that there are a lot of open-ended uh, costs involved. But the, you know, the really important point about uh, these big projects is that there's always a lot of debate and anxiety when we are conceiving them. And, of course, this one is quite uh, far advanced. But in the end, when we carry out these great infrastructure projects, once they're done and up and running, we're very glad that they are. And for me, this is one of the key infrastructure projects which needs to take place now for the well-being and economic benefit of the area that I represent, the West Midlands. Um, and uh, once it's done, I think we'll all be very pleased. It's always the case, you know, but if you look at the Channel Tunnel, yeah. Rail, these, 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 these projects, once they're done, once they're up and running, we're very glad that they, they but, are. But Andrew, Andrew, that, that may be true, but how can one justify spending so much more than European neighbours who have you know, done these projects recently too? Well, there's cost-control issues, clearly, and I hope that the Prime Minister will decide to let this project go ahead and proceed with it. But I've no doubt that if he does, he'll have some fairly trenchant remarks to make about the importance of a far better system of financial control than there's been so far. All right. And uh, Lord Barclay, let's bring you into this. Um, It'll all be worth it in the end, along the lines of the Jubilee Line, the Channel Tunnel. What do you make of that? Well, I'm not actually against it. I'm against the lack of financial control and the fact that it's a wrong project. It doesn't actually deliver what it's supposed to because it does not improve the services around the West Midlands or the North Northern Powerhouse areas for the commuters that want to have a better service every day. And it's very good for people getting to London once a week. But But so there's an extra cost of improving the regional services, which is probably about 50 billion between the two areas. But, but so, 18 trains an hour, that's, that would seem pretty swift and speedy to get to, to London on a daily basis, if, that, if you chose to. Well, if you want to commute to London on a daily basis, that, that's fine, except that nobody else in the world who runs high-speed lines has ever managed to run more than 13 or 14 trains an hour. And the HS2 have then used 18 as the basis of their cost-benefit analysis, and I think that's almost fraudulent. Uh, the the project, though, Lord Barclay, is, is highly likely to get the, the go-ahead. I mean, we heard from Grant Shapps that it's coming this month, he's told the media, and it looks as if the government is leaning uh, towards uh, the green light. I'm, if the government's got enough money to spend £106 billion plus, as, as you said, on HS2, plus another £50 billion or so on the regional lines, mm. which more people will use and more people want, so be it. My worry will be that the Prime Minister gives HS2 a go-ahead, but then ignores the enormous benefits and great expenditure that has to be spent on the regional lines more quickly, they can come more quickly, and many, many lines to improve the lot of the commuters. So I've sent the, the minister's papers on this this week. Right. 
Uh, Andrew Mitchell, how would you respond to that, that perhaps this doesn't best serve the interests of the people in the North and in the Midlands, some of whom you represent? Well, I'm very glad that Lord Barclay made it clear at the outset that he's not opposed or comfortable to uh, this uh, new railway. Um, and I agree with Lord Barclay that he must not squeeze out the other regional projects. And I was very pleased when the minister, Grant Shapps, announced that he was intending quite specifically to reverse some of the uh, beaching uh, cuts of some 60 years ago. So uh, it mustn't squeeze out the local ra- railways. And indeed, in the West Midlands, we have mm-hmm. a number of key uh, local railway projects, which must also go ahead. I want to talk about the environment. Andrew, um, is this not a huge concern, given the increased conversation about climate change, and we're looking at all of these raw materials and all of this production, not to mention the amount of countryside that we're going to lose if we did go ahead with this project? Well, it's a trade-off, isn't it? But I think in terms of the broader questions of the environment and climate change, having a first-class uh, rail system facing the it's not just necessary for our economic well-being uh, throughout Britain, including in the parts of Britain which have been uh, left behind, as the Prime Minister uh, often uh, says. It's also about making sure that people don't have to use planes for short-haul flights. And railways are going to not only take the strain of that, but they're going to be an immense climate change benefit also. But hang on, HS2 won't connect to Eurostar or Heathrow? No, but it will ensure that there's a far better spinal uh, column up the United Kingdom for uh, travel, and it will therefore stop people travelling by plane, I suspect. And it will just be generally very good indeed for interconnectivity between our great cities. Uh, uh, Tony um, Barclay, at this point, I I want to bring you in. You've said that you're not against HS2, but you have to admit that you want significant changes to what the government proposal uh, might be. In terms of, um, you've talked about, you were on the Oka v Review, which has not yet been released, although it went to the minister just before Christmas, and you very dramatically broke ranks with the leader of that review, and you issued your own report into HS2, uh, highly critical. Yes, I did. And one of the issues that I raised was the fact that it wasn't fit for purpose. You don't need to go 360 or 400 kph in order to get to Birmingham 20, 10 minutes quicker or Manchester 20, minute, 20 minutes quicker because it adds, it adds dramatically to the cost. It probably adds 20 or 30% to the capital cost of the new line. And that's um, and that I think is very significant. Secondly, it doesn't connect to the regional services which need upgrading nearly as well as it could do, and so it needs better integration. Uh, and thirdly, of course, a result of all that was the cost-benefit analysis. I think went down to 0.6. So for every pound that the government spends, right. they get 0.6 back. Um, so, Andrew, uh, Tony there offering some sort of a compromise, it sounds. Uh, Chris Bryant, writing in his column, talks about an emergency stop where we can uh, stop the project temporarily and reconsider and perhaps scale back. Is that something you would support? No, it isn't. I, I, mean, I'm, I agree with Lord Barclay about the importance of controlling costs, and, and it's clear that there is a serious there. But Lord Barclay makes a point about, uh, about uh, the speed of connectivity between London and Birmingham. Um, for me, it's not about about capacity. There are 4,000 people standing every day as they come into New Street uh, in Birmingham. And it is about capacity, not about speed um, above all. And you know, the point about a pause is we've just left the European Union. We are facing a new uh, future, which many of us hope will be a bright and encouraging one. What's 
signal does it send to the international community, to our own citizens? If uh, the first uh, uh, real mm. test of a big, major international infrastructure uh, project, we take flight and cancel it on board. Well, hang on. You know, um, just because we want to prove to the world that we can make decisions doesn't mean that we should make surely bad decisions. So I want to put to to Tony Barkley the idea of capacity. I mean, people have sort of tried to justify HS2 on lots of different lines. One of it is on this idea of capacity, but it's surely going to be not local commuter capacity, but commuter capacity to London. And they're quite different offerings, are they well, not? With the, the numbers which Andrew quoted are not commuters from between London and Birmingham. They're commuters using the Virgin trains or, or, or local services, which are very, very crowded. But HS2 is not going to help that. There needs to be other improvements on the Coventry-Birmingham corridor and elsewhere to get more local trains for commuters. But hang on, won't that free up the lines? Because at the moment, the express trains and the commuter trains are using the same lines, aren't they? And if you take away the express trains... I'll put them on a separate line, which would be HS2, the commuters then have more capacity. The commuters will have more capacity, but the other option is actually to improve the existing lines, like the Chiltern line to Marylebone um, and the West Coast Main line, all of which could have more capacity on them. But the key is on the commuter routes, the short one between Coventry and Birmingham and, and Burton and Birmingham and other places, they all need four tracking so you can have fast commuter trains and slow ones. Because my, uh, my objective would be to see the services around London as good as they are around London, uh, sorry, services around Birmingham as good as they are around London. Uh, and I think that's something, obviously, that MPs in the North would clearly share, right? And and we've seen, um, you know, because of the, the win, the 80-seat majority that the Prime Minister now has in Parliament and many Conservative, more Conservative MPs in the North of England, um, how much power do you think, Andrew Mitchell, um, uh, MPs like yourself are going to have in terms of sway with the government to actually get those improvements for the commuter lines, not just this one massive project? Well, I emphasise that the plan is not that this one massive project, as you put it, should squeeze out all other investments. The plan is very much a mixed economy where we have agencies, but we also have the development of the regional lines. And the ones that Lord Barclay has mentioned specifically in my part of the country are very important indeed. And he's right just to make clear that they need to be upgraded and improved. Um, but, you know, this, this is uh, an important international infrastructure project. It's going to have huge benefit for the economies of the of the West Midlands and of the North. And I think the additional members of Parliament who you, who you cited, who have given uh, Boris Johnson and the government a significant majority, many of the people from the North want to see a massive boost in connectivity uh, throughout the country so that they don't feel their region has been left behind anymore. But Andrew, if I may press you on this uh, point, um, when you talk about sort of international influence, are you actually talking about big business? Are you talking about the names that I mentioned with Chris Bryant in terms of the sort of kudos and power perhaps of the UK, you know, Balfour, BT, Vinci uh, and all the others that I listed? Is, is that what you mean? Because obviously these big projects are more beneficial to those large business interests, which again has been one of the circulating sort of arguments against HS2. No, I don't. I don't. I didn't hear your earlier interview with Chris Brown, but I, I can. I can tell you these big businesses that you mentioned. They will. They will have to win through fair and open and transparent uh, contracts, and I'm sure that that uh, process will constrain costs. 
as well as everyone wants to see. But it's, it's not about uh, big business. It's about making sure that all parts of the United Kingdom are properly connected in a modern way, which faces up to the new uh, century rather than relying on the old one. Tony Barkley, your response? I am very surprised that Andrew and other people say that the economy of the West Midlands will be massively helped by HSBC putting their head office near in Birmingham, near the main New Curzon Street station. That decision has been made probably 15 years before HS2 arrives, and I would ask him and all the other people who may work on the on, work in the bank and also travel to London occasionally. Would you rather commute on a better service daily from where a wide-ranging areas around Birmingham into this new bank head office? Would you rather get to London half an hour quicker, once a week, like members of Parliament or peers might do? And they always get a seat. They can always use their lap, all use their laptop. They will get a seat at the moment, but it's the regional services. And my worry is that this, the ministers, whatever decision they make, will not make the same commitment to improving regional services, which over the whole country, the North and the Midlands, probably needs $100 billion, compared with HS2, which is once they're given the go-ahead, they can't stop it. But the regional ones can be stop and start, oh, we haven't got enough money, oh, we want to argue about mm. something. It's much more difficult to get a commitment for that, and that's what worries me. So, Andrew, then, the, the argument that we should be prioritising the North and the Midlands, as the government says it would, would uh, prioritising Northern Powerhouse Rail not make more sense? Well, as, I, as I've as made clear, um, Barclay is right in saying that the one must not squeeze out the other. And these are complementary projects. And they're not either ors. And it's very important that these local projects go ahead for the reasons that North Barclay has said, certainly. And you know, I, don't, I don't think that uh, the decision by HSBC to base its UK headquarters in Birmingham, very welcome locally, was was uh, predicated on the basis of HS2 being built or not. But the point is that Birmingham is the second city. It has a huge amount to offer the region, the country, Europe, and it's got to be properly uh, connected. And it's got to be properly connected not only south, but in the north. And the northern cities, too, are going to benefit from this uh, enormous infrastructure project. And I'm sure that so long as we constrain the cost, everyone is right to emphasise the importance of much better control than there has been hitherto. In 10 years' time, we'll be very glad indeed that the project got the go-ahead now and forged ahead. OK, forged ahead. Although, of course, uh, the line up and running, what date would you estimate, uh, Tony Barkley, for when we might actually be able to get on one of these marvellous trains? Well, HS2 is now estimating something between 2030 and 2032 for Birmingham and 2040 for the rest of it, and that's 20 years' time. The improvements to regional services could be done very much more quickly before the next election, even. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.